So I want to take a moment and I want to pray for Rich. Um, about two weeks ago, he was in a, uh, uh, he had an accident on the mission field uh, and basically broke his hip and broke his leg and was laying out there. And I think he was able to call his daughter who was in, happened to be uh, there and she traveled out and kind of pretty much saved his life. Um, but he had to go through uh, surgery for uh, hip replacement, and his leg was, uh, he had to have surgery on his leg. Um, he's going to have to have another surgery. And in the midst of that, he, <laughs> he got malaria. <laughs> so um, it was just, uh, it was, uh, uh, the Lord saved his life. His daughter helped too, a, a big time in that. But um, he was... Um, down there in the, you know, out in the boonie, and they found him, they got him, they got his thing set, they got him to a hospital, there happened to be a surgeon there, and um, was able to uh, do the hip replacement, and because his hip was just really messed up, and his uh, leg fixed his, uh, reset his leg, and um, so he, uh, and then he had a battle of malaria, so he finally got out, and he finally, this week, was uh, brought back to the state, somebody and this is, this is what I love. I love people who have resources because they got him a business class because he couldn't bend his legs in that. And uh, so he was able to fly back and he's recuperating down south and um, he'll have to have one more surgery. But uh, pray for Rich and Anna. Uh, this has been uh, quite an ordeal for them, uh, but they've been held hostage twice over the years. Um, and so they know kind of what it's like to uh, do that. Uh, I think it would be good for us to pray for them and pray for uh, the work that is being done there in uh, Mali, West Africa. Let's pray. Thanks, Father, for Rich and Anna. Thank you for the way that they have served you faithfully over the many, many years. Um, Thank you for this new project that they're working on right now. And we know this camp could be an incredible thing for the kids. There's nothing like it. Um, And it could be a way for the churches and the pastors to minister in a new way to the, the, the uh, people there in Mali, West Africa. We pray that this offering, that when we take it, would really benefit that and help that along. Uh, we also want to pray for Rich and his recovery. Thank you for sparing his life. Thank you for bringing him through this and getting him back to the States. We pray that you would help him just to take some time to get his strength back. And uh, again, Father, we're grateful for the way that uh, You uh, preserved him and helped him and uh, brought the right people at the right time into his life. And so for that, we're real grateful and we're real real thankful in Jesus' name. Amen. And that's the thing about life, isn't it? We we face storms and we sometimes don't know uh, when they're going to come, how they're going to come, how they're going to affect us. And oftentimes what we do is we tend to think the storms is all about me, right? This is the storm I'm going through. But here's the thing, and as I was thinking through this, oftentimes, many, many times, when you're going through a storm, there's other people <laughs> that are caught up in it. Here's what I mean. If you are a parent, and you have children, and you have a child that's a wayward child, you're in a storm. They may be in a storm, but you're in a storm because you're the parent, right? If if you have an aging parent and they're at a place right now where they really can't take care of themselves, some of you are in that boat right now, and you're, you're trying to 
be there for your parents, you're trying to help them out, and you're, try, and you're having to make decisions for them that they don't want to make. They're in the middle of a storm, but so are you, right? And it may be that you have a brother who's lost his son. Your brother is in the middle of a storm, but so are you, right? You may have a friend who, who is now has a, a, a life-threatening disease. And you say, well, they, they're in the midst of a storm right now, but they're your friend. And that storm is your storm. And of course, if you're a human being and you've lived the last two years, we're in this pandemic storm and nobody's found a way to get out of that one, right? The stress, the anger, the division... It's a whirlwind, right? And you're in the middle of that storm and you say, what do you do? What do you do when you're in the middle of these storms? And that's what we want to talk about. Because in our passage today, we're going through the book of Acts, Paul gets into a storm. It's a real storm. It's a storm on a boat, you know, on the sea. And it's, it's a pretty big one. And it, it says in the text that it was so Bad, the storm was so bad that experienced sailors said, that's it, we're done. So we want to jump into there and we want to learn what does that have to do for us? What can we learn about navigating the storms that will come into our lives? And it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Storms, it's not a matter that we're going to avoid them. Nobody's going to avoid storms. They may be smaller they may be mid-sized, they may be huge, but sooner or later, we are going to encounter a storm, whether it's something that's happening directly to us or something that's happening indirectly because of a relationship that we have. So if you would, turn in your Bibles. We're going to be in Acts chapter 27, and I'm going to start about at verse 15. Now let me give you the context of what's happening. Paul is being taken to Rome. He has said, I want to have my audience before Caesar. He's a Roman citizen, so he is taken with other prisoners under Roman guard on a ship, on a boat, to Rome. And now in the midst of this this sailing, this experience where they're going to go, they basically, they've been warned by Paul, don't go. This isn't a good time of the year to travel. They go anyways. And of course, what happens? Well, they get in the middle of a storm. That's where we want to pick the text up. So we're in Acts chapter 27, and I'm going to start reading at verse 15. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As it passed the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship to hold it together. So understand what's going on here. They're lashing ropes under the ship to kind of pull it together so the ship doesn't just split apart. This is how uh, raging the storm is. And, And I don't know of many of you, and by the way, if you're watching online, thank you for joining in with us. But here's the thing I want you to know. If you've ever been out on a larger body of water during a storm, you, and many times you're in a littler, littler boat, you know what, what, this is a real, real bad situation. Notice, they passed ropes under, and because they were afraid that they would run aground on the sandbars, uh, sandbars of Cyprus, uh, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. 
We took such a violent battering from the storm the next day, they began to throw cargo overboard. Now let me just stop there for a minute. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, but he also wrote the book of Acts, you know, the letter, you know, the Acts. Of the, you know, okay. So we've been going through Acts. Luke wrote that. Now what's interesting in this passage is Luke doesn't say, Paul told me, or he, or they. He says, we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw cargo overboard. Luke is there. He's in the midst of the storm. He experienced this. He is a witness of what happened. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Uh, we neither saw, uh, when neither the sun nor the stars approached for many days and the storm continued raging, notice, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. It's a very dire situation. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to come and not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, be, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors uh, from the bow. So, the, so, the, so, the, 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 uh, so Paul gives this word. He says, don't worry, the boat's going to be destroyed, but we'll, we'll, we're all going to be okay. So then the sailors go, yeah, great, okay, well, we're just going to go play with the anchors. And it's like, no, you're not going to play with the anchors. They're going to get on the lifeboats, and they're going to get out of there. They were just going to abandon ship. Then Paul said to the centurion, he's the leader of all the, the soldiers, he says, unless these men stay on ship, uh, with the ship you cannot be saved because we need somebody to, to manage the ship. And they're the ones that, that can do that. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Think about that. When's the last time you went 14 days without eating? <laughs> 14 minutes, right? <laughs> um, you need to survive. No one will lose a single hair from the head. Now, the next line, I'm going to read it to you and say, well, where have you heard this before? Let me read it. After he said this, he took some bread and he gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. Isn't that interesting? It reminds us of the Lord's table, doesn't it? They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Although there were two, uh, excuse me, all together, there were two, 276 of us on board. All right, so let's pull back and let's just uh, talk for a minute. Why does God allow storms in our life? That's really the question we want to address because it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, right? And I think there's three, three things that I want to talk about. Number one, God allows storms for your good. Now, that may seem contradictory. 
Uh, Paul, no, Paul told um, the centurion, it's interesting what he said to him. He said, you know what, if you had listened to my advice, we wouldn't have hit the storm. This is kind of, you should have listened. And here's the thing. Paul basically told the crew, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. What do you want to hear first? <laughs> the, the bad news. You know, I want to hear the bad news first. Well, the ship's going to sink. <laughs> you know, it's doomed. This ship isn't going to last. The good news is we're all going to get off and not one hair of our head's going to be lost, right? Um, but then Paul warns them not to abandon ship because if they abandon ship, basically then it's game over. Now, here's the thing about storms. Some of the storms in your life right now are because you made poor choices. You sinned. You messed up. It's on you. You brought it on yourself. I mean, essentially, that's kind of what Paul's saying to the centurion. He's saying, you know what? You kind of brought this on, on us. Um, but you know what? The other side of it is sometimes you did nothing wrong. You were minding your own business. You weren't sinning. You just were living life. And all of a sudden, this storm kind of came and it hit you and it hit you like a ton of bricks. And that's kind of how it works, isn't it? Here's the thing I want you to see, though. That it doesn't matter whether you brought it on yourself or whether you were just going through your life. God will meet you in every storm. He didn't say, Paul didn't say, you know, centurion, the centurion, he says, you know, you messed up, now we're doomed. He didn't say that. He said, you know, you messed up and we could have done, we could have avoided this. But even, even though this is happening, God's still got a plan. And that's encouraging. You know, whether, whether you did something dumb and you messed up or whether it's just a product because we live in a fallen world with fallen people. You know, life happens. Bad things happen. Storms happen. But here's the thing. God is with you. Because you may be here and you, or you may be watching online. You may say, but I messed up. Yeah, okay. But you know, that doesn't mean God's done with you. That doesn't mean God won't meet you in the storm. That doesn't mean God doesn't have a plan, even in spite of the decisions you've made. Do you remember the story of Joseph? Very interesting story. Let me just summarize it very quickly. Genesis, uh, the last part of Genesis, chapter 37 through 50, we're introduced to this young man named Joseph. I think he was a little bit of a brat, to be honest with you. He was favored by his father, um, he had dreams that his, his brothers and his fathers would bow down to him. It didn't help that dad put a bullseye on him, and that was the many-colored coat, saying, look at who I love. You know, take a guess. You know, well, uh, maybe the kid that has the beautiful coat that you gave. I don't know. Just taking a wild guess out there. Okay, so now the brothers hate him. And so one day, the dad, Jacob, says, go out, check on your brothers. He goes out. I'm just going through chapters here, okay? Uh, he goes out to check on his brothers, and they go, look, there's the dreamer. And so they take Joseph, they throw him in a pit, and they decide, well, what do we want to do with him? And they see this caravan that's headed to Egypt. They said, I know, let's do this. Let's sell him as a slave. Their brother. And I wonder what Joseph was thinking. He was just going out to meet his brothers. The next thing you know, he's in a pit. The next thing you know, he's, on a, he's in a caravan headed to Egypt. And his brothers just sold him. They take the coat back to their dad and they say, hey, 
this looks familiar. Is this your son's? Got blood all over it. Uh-oh. So Joseph is in Egypt. He's at the lowest point of his life probably, young boy, and God blesses him and he rises up and then all of a sudden he's falsely accused and he gets thrown into prison and he, he gets this ability to tell dreams and he tells, you know, he interprets dreams for the, the, the cupbearer and the baker and, and uh, finally he says, he says to them, when you get back to your position, remember me before the Pharaoh. And, oh yeah, we'll do that. No, they didn't. And then all of a sudden, the, the Pharaoh had some dreams and these magicians and that said, well, tell us the dream and then we'll tell you what it means. I'm getting into too much detail, but essentially what happens is Joseph is brought before the Pharaoh and the, Joseph interprets the dream. The Pharaoh says, you're a pretty sharp guy. Uh, if there's going to be seven years of plenty and then famine after that, uh, you should probably be the guy to manage all of that. So Joseph does manage all. And then years and years and years and years and years have gone by in Joseph's life. So now the, the, the famine is hit and the brothers come. Joseph immediately recognizes his brothers and he reveals himself to his brothers and he says, go get your father. They bring Jacob. Jacob comes and Joseph finds a nice plot of land for them to settle in and everybody lives happily ever after, right? Not really. Jacob, their father, the patriarch, dies. So the brothers come to Joseph because they believe in their heads that Joseph's just waiting for, or that Joseph is just waiting for his father, Jacob, to die. And then once Jacob dies, Joseph's going, I mean, he's the second most powerful person in Egypt. He can just revenge, right? So they come to him and they essentially say to him, and this is Matt interpreting, they say, you know, the last words that dad said was, don't hurt the brothers, right? And Joseph says this to them. You intended to harm me. This is Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done to save many lives. Paul uses a New Testament statement that's kind of similar to that. So Joseph's able to look back and see the, the panoramic view back, and he says, oh, yeah, for this, Paul, for this moment, for such a moment as this, right? Paul says this in Romans 8. He says, all things work together for good to, to those who love God. Uh, here's the disclaimer we may never see this side of heaven what that good is. You may have gone or you're going through right now a storm and, uh, you, and, and Paul is saying that storm, God can use it to do good things. You may never see what those good things are this side of heaven. You may never see it. Now, Joseph was able to, but, but that's an exception. It's not the rule. That's number one. Our problem is we don't have God's perspective, right? Our, our perspective is very limited. 
Here's the second disclaimer. Paul doesn't say all things are good. He's not saying COVID, natural disasters that, that wipe out communities and with tornadoes and hurricanes and tsunamis, that, that, that murder, that cancer, that child abuse, those are not good things. That's not what he's saying. Here's the thing. Just because you're in the middle of a storm, don't assume God has abandoned ship because he hasn't. He hasn't. In fact, we're told through Scripture that when you're in the storm, look for Jesus. What does the 23rd Psalm say? You know this Psalm. Many of you have it memorized. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, right? So essentially what, what the psalmist is saying is, I'm in the middle of a valley. I'm in the middle of a storm, but the Lord is with me. Do you remember a story about Daniel? Chapter 2 is three friends. They were told to bow down to the king. These kings have egos, don't they? And, and, and they said, no, we can't do that. We won't do that. We and he heats up the furnace and he throws them in the furnace. And he looks into the furnace and he says, one, two, three, four. I thought I threw three. I thought we threw three in. Did we throw three or did we throw four? Nope, it was three. He says, well, there's a fourth person that looks like the Son of Man. What did Jesus, what was the name that Jesus used often to describe himself? He called himself what? The Son of Man. You see, Jesus is in the furnace. Jesus is in the valley. Jesus is in the storm. The one thing that Jesus says is, I may never give you the reason why you're going through the storm, but I will tell you this, I will always be there in the middle of it with you. I will never abandon ship. So that's the first reason. Secondly, God allows storms for your growth. Storms can be opportunities for growth in your godliness. That's kind of what James is saying. He says, consider it all joy, brothers when, and sisters, when you face various storms. That's the, not the translation, but it's essentially saying that. You say, well, no, <laughs> that doesn't seem like I should consider it joy. Somebody has well said, the same sun melt that melts the wax hardens the clay. The same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. Now, what do, what do they mean by that? That suffering doesn't always make you a better person. In fact, sometimes suffering will cause people to become bitter and angry. The same experience can make you make a person. It, you know, it, 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 here's the thing. The same experience that makes one person can break another. You know people, I know people that said, I prayed, I was in the midst of the storm and I prayed for God and he didn't rescue me out of the storm. And, and, and that's it, I turned my back on him. I, I'm done with him. It made them bitter and it made them angry. And there's others that have gone through the storm and they have taken it up a notch. And they still don't know why they went through the storm. Here's, here's an interesting thing. Paul was, and I was thinking about that, and I'm going to, uh, 
So what Paul is doing here is he's being a pioneer in, of his faith. What's a pioneer of your faith? And I was thinking about this whole idea. In the same way that we share storms with other people that we love, some, sometimes they share a storm with us or we share a storm with them because they're a family member, a friend, a work, you know, somebody we work with, somebody care, we care about. Um, in the same way, we, like Paul was a pioneer. He was like saying, this is what we should do. This is what we should believe. This is what I know. And, and so he led by faith. He was bold. He was faithful. He was gracious. He was, and so they followed him and, and they learned from him. His faith saved them. He was leading them by his faith. And so they watched this man of faith say, this is what we should do. This is what God wants. This is what the step we should take. And, and it, what Paul was doing is very important. He was saying, not what, what, what am I going to do? He was saying, what are we going to do? And that's what a pioneer of faith does. They, they don't look at themselves. They look at others around them. Um, we need people. We need parents. We need parents that are, that, are, that are pioneer parents, that your kids see your faith when, when trials come, when problems come, and you don't pull yourself in like a turtle and go, woe is me. You step out by faith, and you graciously and faithfully Walk by faith, even though you don't understand it because that's the moment where faith begins. When you don't understand and you say, there's no explanation, there's nothing coming. I may never understand why or what's going on here, but I know that I can trust him. I know Jesus is in the middle of the storm and I choose to walk by faith. I choose to be a pioneer of faith. Some of you have people around you, people in your family that have gone through incredibly difficult trials and you've watched them go through these and you have been amazed at their faith, right? You've seen them walk graciously and faithfully by faith. We need more parents and grandparents and people and Christians to say, instead of looking at woe is me, we say what, what does this moment mean and how can I leverage it for God, for his glory, because he wants to do something. This caught me completely off guard but didn't catch God off guard. He knows. Didn't surprise him, surprised me, didn't surprise him. So as we were talking about this message, um, Deanna was sharing about her time with Michaela. Uh, Deanna's our children's director, and she was sharing about her, her time with Michaela, who went through extensive uh, cancer uh, for years, and as a little girl. And she t was talking about how, sh as she sat in the, the hospital room, there was a moment where she realized that the time that she was there wasn't wasted. And since sometimes that's how we feel when we're in the, these storms. We feel like, oh, I'm just wasting time here. And she was with her daughter. That wasn't the point. But it was like, well, I can't, there must be more. I must, there's something I need to do. And, and all of a sudden it dawned on her. And, and it was really, it was one of the, it was an incredible moment for me because she said, I realized that God had put me in that room to minister to the people who are coming into that room to minister to my daughter. You see the perspective, how it's changed? 
The woe is me perspective is what am I going to do? What are we going to do? The pioneer faith perspective was God put me here to minister to these nurses, these doctors, these technicians, these people that are coming in. Powerful. That's pioneer faith. That's what Paul was doing on the boat. That's what we can all do in these moments if we're, if we're aware of them and awake to them. And so I ask you, do you know somebody? And, and, and have you prayed in the midst of your trial saying, God, don't make me focus all on me. Help me to look outside of myself because there's other people through this that you want to minister to. And that's really hard to do. I think you can't do it unless you have the power of God's spirit within you. I just don't think you, I know I couldn't. And so, um, pioneer faith people don't look within. They look around. They don't say, what am I going to do? They say, what are we going to do? They don't just look out for themselves. They look out for others. That's different. But that's what Paul was doing, right? In the middle of the storm. Because we, what we do is our prayer is, God, get me out of here. Please end this as soon as possible. Amen. Right? I, that's how I pray. And what I'm suggesting is, God, I don't like this. I'm struggling. That's prayer. I wish I didn't have to go through it, but, and I'm surprised, and I'm upset, and I'm angry, and I'm frustrated, and I'm all those emotions, God. But you got me here, and you're doing something, and help me be aware of it. Help me to be aware of how you're leading me. Help me to see. I may never see from Joseph's perspective what you were doing, I may never get that this side, but I'm going to walk by faith, and I want to approach this gracefully and faithfully because other people are watching me. Don't do it because of that, but understand that is true. Here's the last reason or the last thing about storms. Jesus entered the storm for your salvation. You know, we celebrate Christmas and we think of this, this um, storybook, beautiful, quiet little town and a little baby and his parents. But when you think about it, Jesus, when he got off of his throne and became a baby in a manger, when he took upon himself human flesh, he was entering enemy territory. From the moment he was born until his crucifixion, people were trying to kill him. <laughs> right? You can read about it when he was a baby, when he was a young boy, when he was grown a man. Over and over and over and over and over, they're trying to kill him. Which is interesting. John basically says this in John chapter, in his gospel, John chapter uh, 1, verse 11. He came to that which was his own, that's this world. But his own did not receive him. And, and what John's saying there, if you read through it, 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 essentially what the passage is saying is, he came to his own world and his own people. His own people did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. You see, Jesus was born to face the ultimate, the final storm. 
the eternal storm, the storm that would destroy us. Jesus came to die to give his life so that we could live. He came to take our sins so that we could be forgiven. Jesus faced the full brunt of the spiritual storm on the cruel Roman cross. You see, one of the things about Christianity is Christianity puts Jesus in the middle of the storm with us. God isn't some watchmaker who's wound the world up and is now watching his little toy play out. God has entered into his creation and was rejected and was ultimately executed by his own people. Christianity says, this isn't a far off God. This is a God who has entered into our world. That's what Christmas is all about. God has entered into this world. And it's a hostile world. It's a hostile world. Remember Joseph, the statement he made in chapter 50, verse 20. He said this to his brothers. He said, you meant it for evil. But God, he meant it for good. To save our family right? Joseph was able to look back on God's, from God's perspective and see what was going on with his life. I'm sure when he was in prison, I'm sure when he was mis, mis, uh, mistreated and, and all those things that happened, he must have cried out, why God, why God, why God? But at that point in his life, he was able to look back and see the bigger picture. When Jesus hung on the cross, his mother probably sat there and said, I don't understand. The Roman soldier says, well, there's job done. The religious leader said, there's a messianic wannabe gone. His disciples said, we're out of here. Abandoned ship. But we look back, right? We look back and we could read Joseph's words on the cross and we could say, you meant it for evil, the religious leaders and the Roman soldiers. But God meant it for good, the salvation of all men. Right? Because that's the long game that God plays. That's the perspective. See, Jesus knows you're suffering. So, What's going on with you? Are you suffering financial hardship? Has someone who you trusted stabbed you in the back? Fled when you needed them most? You look to your corner and it's empty? Are you facing some serious medical issues right now? If you're in the storm, understand this. Jesus may never give you all the answers that you want. He may not answer the questions of why. But Jesus does promise that our suffering will not be in vain and it will not be alone. You are never alone in the storm. He's always with you. And it is not in vain. So, our passage today tells us this. If you're in the middle of a storm, understand this. Your suffering is not in vain and you are not alone. 
So there's a couple ways you can respond. Number one, do you know Jesus as your Savior? The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you called upon him? He gave his life for you on the cross. Have you given your life to him? Secondly, if you're in the middle of a storm, instead of asking questions of why or whatever, take a moment and say, God, help me to see from your perspective or help me and I think only through the spirit of God are you going to be able to do that help me to see your perspective help me to see this storm as a way to minister to other people if you do that storms will take on a new perspective listen the day that we start looking at the storms that are going on around us and we start behaving as followers of Jesus Christ, sons and daughters of God, and we trust him and we walk by faith, the day that we begin to do that, the world will say, where did you get hope like that? And we'll say, let me tell you about my father. Let me tell you about Jesus. Because that is where your faith will really shine. So the storms are coming. The question is, what are we going to do with them, right? Are they going to make us or are they going to break us? We get to decide. I hope you choose to walk by faith and allow yourself to become a pioneer of faith where other people will watch you and learn from you and grow from you and be encouraged by you and maybe even be brought to Christ through you. Stand with me. Let's pray. Help us, Father, because this is something we cannot do on our own unless you help us, unless you empower us. Empower us. We are powerless. We, we know, Father, the storms are coming. Many uh, that are watching or here in-house um, are experiencing storms. They may be little ones. They may be mi minor ones or middle size or big ones, but we're all facing storms right now. Help us to, to have a heavenly perspective. Help us to see the long game. Help us to, to, to grab on to the promises that you have made us in your word today, that you will be with us, that you'll never leave us, that in the midst of the storm you are there, that you have a purpose for those. And we may not see them, but we trust you. Help us to be a pioneer so that others can learn and watch and grow and benefit from our faith. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.